Welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back at historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. Today, you will get to hear audio from a simulated Article 5 convention with 49 state delegations consisting mostly of sitting or previous state legislators. Hosted by Convention of States Foundation in August of 2023, the event was held in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. In this final segment from the closing session, live reaction to the simulation results are offered by Senior Vice President Rita Peters, co-founders Michael Ferris and Mark Meckler, as well as Senior Advisor Rick Santorum. From the simulated Article 5 convention here in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. And as you can see behind me, the convention has just adjourned sine die. So I have Mike Ferris and Senator Rick Santorum here with me to do some post-convention commentary. So we'll go to the specific amendment proposals in just a minute, but let's get the broad view first. What do you think? How did it go? Mike, we'll go to you first. Well, this is hard work. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, worth it. Uh, and so uh, I was very, very impressed with the seriousness that people were taking it. I mean, to the point where we were debating, is it and or or? And, <laughs> right. and, and sometimes that matters. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it um, was taken very seriously. Uh, there were some ideas that, you know, people supported the general idea. Mm-hmm. And because the specific proposal was a little off kilter. They rejected it for now, less that we have a, a, a misimpression of, of our organization, of our effort, of our movement. And I think that they had behaved with a great wisdom in that regard. And, and uh, you know, we have a good idea of things that could be done. Yes. Um, and um, it, we certainly have an idea that people will, uh, this will be a long process. I've always mm-hmm. predicted it would take six months. Okay. And, um, I, I think that might be enough time, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, it's um, it's really, really an, an important event, and I think the country is better for what we've done. Absolutely. They were certainly very thoughtful, very deliberative. Senator Rick Santorum, what are your thoughts? How did it go? What, were you surprised? What do you think? Yeah, uh, you know, this is the first experience of mine doing this, and uh I, you know, Mike's comment about this might take six months. I'd never heard you say that before, Mike. But had you said that to me before this experience, I would have said, what are you talking about? That would have taken six months. Now I'm starting to think, wow, six months not, might not be enough time. I mean, just the amount of, the amount of work that, that goes into uh, understanding all of, all of the intricacies of all these proposals. And it was the one thing I got is that it was frustrating to a lot of members because... Uh, they didn't have the time, and it, and it wasn't, uh, you know, nailed down so much because it's a simulation, because it's two days. Uh, so I think it wet the whistle of a lot of people. It showed the potential of, of what this con- this convention could be about and, and the depth in which it would plumb and the, and the interesting topics of discussion. And the exciting thing for me is those would all be discussions and would be out there in the public for public debate and, and discussion and elucidation and infer- and education and right. and that that's the exciting thing about this that this process that we're engaged in would be a huge educational process for the American public, uh, which I think as much as you know, getting thirty eight states to ratify anything that comes out of a convention would be hard. So you, you can never say what actually could be accomplished as far as amendments passed, but the process itself. The more I watch it, the more I think the American public would benefit from that process. Absolutely. This was an educational endeavor, and it was absolutely educational to everyone here and everyone watching, I know. Mark, you just came off the stage. You gave the closing remarks, and it's over. What do you think? How did it go? Man, I'm excited. And for me, again, I think it's a lot of what Rick was saying. It was about process and watching the process unfold. And I was surprised 
at myself, honestly, watching some things that went up on screen, and I'm thinking, oh, I love that, I support that, and then I start to listen to the arguments, and you got really smart people saying really smart things, way smarter than me, and I'm thinking, well, maybe that's not such a good idea, right? And so to have that kind of a turnaround in real time, and we're just here for a short period of time. Imagine what that's like if you're in a committee and you have relationships <coughs> with everybody and you're debating for days. It gave me a lot of faith in the process. Absolutely. Well, six amendments ended up coming out of convention, and that was actually all of the proposals that came out of committee <coughs> came through convention. So that was pretty interesting to see. Let's go through them individually and just give me your thoughts on them. And Mark, I'm actually going to pitch the first one to you, and that was term limits on Congress. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I didn't love it, is the honest truth. And, and I, you know, if we're going to do term limits, and I'm not 100% fan of term limits, I'm not really a fan of term limits without term limits on the bureaucracy and the staffers, and we didn't get that. Uh, we didn't get it for a good reason, in my opinion. It was complicated. There's a lot of nuance in there. There's a lot of details. There's danger for a lot of unintended consequences. So I understand why we didn't get it. I'm not happy to get term limits on Congress without that. And I thought they were too long if we were going to do term limits. Mm -hmm. So that one, I would say, of all the ones we did, probably my least favorite. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'll react to that because uh, I'm not a, I'm, I am sort of a fan of term limits, but I'm a fan of fairly long term limits. And so I disagree with them on that. But I do agree with them. But if you're going to do term limits on, on elected congressmen and, and senators, you have to do some sort of limitation on the bureaucracy. The problem was, in my opinion, was uh, that can be a problem in any, any kind of venture like this. You should come out with something overly ambitious. And I think what they, the, the folks who proposed the amendment came out with the kitchen sink, and it was just too much for this body to handle. It took hours. It was the longest debate. If you think about it, as far as, as far as really making a difference substantively, term limits is probably, of all the things you're going to debate, probably the least substantive thing that, that, is, that we're going to do here. We spent the most time on it. Yeah. Uh, but it just tells you because they, they came in with something that was somewhat unwieldy and just caused a kerfuffle. And, uh, and so uh, I'd like to see a term limits on, on the executive branch. But uh, that's going to take a lot of work to get right. Sure. Well, I would just say that I think there was consensus that the idea of some form of term limits on the executive branch was overwhelmingly agreed to. Hmm. But the details were so complex and, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't ready for prime time. Mm -hmm. uh, but in a real convention, I, I am confident that those things will be paired, and that's important. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the second proposal limited the Supreme Court to nine judges and also gave the state standing to challenge the constitutionality of executive action. So, Mike, I want to go to you for that one first. You are an expert on the Supreme Court. What did you think of that proposal? I liked it. Um, I mean, first of all, uh, unless we're going to change the methodology of appointing the Supreme Court, which I would, I would like to see the states involved in appointing Supreme Court justices. But until then, I think the idea of taking it out of the politics, you know, one of the problems of the Supreme Court overall, it's too political. And if we can have these threats to pack the court because you don't like the outcomes right. of particular cases, and it go back and forth, and you end up with 500 judges all appointed by the presidents and each successive presidents up in the number and it's, it's just nuts and so uh, that was good mm -hmm. and then my very favorite thing of the whole convention was section 2 and that is giving the state standing to sue the federal government if they violate the constitution because there's a lot of important cases that can't get brought successfully including virtually all spending cases it's really hard to challenge the constitutionality of federal spending this would fix it because you say the states as sovereigns, have the ability, have the standing to sue on any constitutional claim, an act by Congress or an act by the executive. It's great. That was a great proposal. Yeah. Uh, my two cents on that is um, it should have been two separate amendments. I think if it was going to yeah. happen, it would have been because yeah. they're two different topics. It shouldn't be in the same amendment because you don't want one to fail because of the other. Right. 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 Exactly. Uh, and so they should have been separated. Number one. Number two. Uh, 
you know, one of the things I, I, I liked about the limiting the court to nine uh, is that it, it cuts off uh, a, a, a problem going forward. It, 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 uh, and it's one, that, it, it's one that is easier to get a bipartisan consensus for something that, that is a problem in the future than trying to fix something that's already a problem. Uh, and, and so this is one that Democrats and Republicans generally, I think, agree. Uh, there, there were several Democrats here, and I talked to several of them about this, and they were all on board with, with, the, uh, uh, with, with limiting the court, and they saw the wisdom of that. So you know, people say, well, there's probably nothing you could ever get passed out of a convention and, and get 38 states to ratify. Well, I think that's actually one of them. I'd be curious, I'll ask Mike the question, do you think liberal states, blue states, would approve of the second provision allowing states to sue the federal government, giving them standing? I would try to get it moved when there's a Republican president. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, th yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Depends when your ox is gored, right? That's right. Yeah. Mark, any thoughts from you on that? I mean, I, I like both of them. I agree they should have been separate. That's, again, a matter of time. You know, it's important to remember we did this in two days. Right. And something, in two days they wouldn't have come up with the rules for a convention, right? I mean, that would probably take a couple of weeks in, a, in an actual convention. So it's a little bit clunky that they ended up together. I love the second part of it because one of the things that most people don't realize when we travel, we hear people say, 10th Amendment, 10th Amendment. And mostly what the courts say is the states have no standing. And so the Tenth Amendment is toothless, and this puts teeth back in the Tenth Amendment. It allows states to get in the game. We know we have a lot of good AGs out there pushing back against the federal government. This would be an important tool. And it's honestly, it's an equal tool, whether they're conservative states or liberal states. This is really important. It also kind of counterbalances the Seventeenth Amendment. You know, the states really got out of the game of any kind of governance in Washington, D.C. with the 17th Amendment. So this puts the states back in the game, able to directly challenge the federal government. I think it's great. Yeah, I like that too. So the third proposal was a type of balanced budget amendment proposal. That was the only proposal that came out of our Fiscal Restraints Committee, which I think is interesting. They obviously spent a lot of time on that one. Rick, what did you think of that BBA proposal? Well, again, you know, it's interesting. Uh, money is one that is uh, less of a partisan issue than, than, than it used to be, right? Uh, Republicans and Democrats now are somewhat addicted to the overspending that comes out of Washington because some of the biggest beneficiaries of overspending are the states. We saw that particularly during COVID. Uh, so what you saw coming out of, uh, of the committee was what I would argue would be somewhat of a typical 1990s version uh, of a balanced budget amendment. It had a spending cap. It had a debt reduction component. Uh, as well as a balanced budget component. Um, the spending cap and the debt reduction component got ripped out. Uh, and that just tells you how uh, conser even conservatism has morphed over time uh, to say, well, you know, we really don't want to go cold turkey on, you know, hard caps on spending or have to reduce the deficit. Uh, we're so dependent upon all this federal largesse and it just... Uh, it, it was reflected in what I would, I mean, disagree with me, uh, folks. There's a pretty conservative group here. I mean, it's certainly not going to be as conservative, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, California is certainly not going to be conservative in voting. I mean, uh, now I think the delegations that are re from Republican states will be probably reflective of what we saw here and therefore probably still a very solid majority. But... Uh, the fact that uh, st that even some conservative states were, uh, were were willfully going along with any any kind of I mean will willfully opposing any kind of restraint on spending mm -hmm. to me was indicative of how tough this issue really is. Sure, Mike, what were your thoughts on this balanced budget amendment proposal? Well, I, I like the comprehensive approach. Yeah, um, and. And so, um, to me, the, 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 the best fix to uh, fiscal problems in the federal government is to fix the general welfare clause. Yeah. And, 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 the, and that's a very complicated fix. Mm -hmm. And so, I understand why we don't get to it here. But that's the real fix. If we, uh, because the vast majority of federal spending 
is not tied to the enumerated powers. And if we can go back to that principle, that Congress can only spend money for things that are in furtherance of its enumerated powers, we fix a lot of yeah. the spending issues. If we do that and say there must be a balanced budget, that's a pretty good combination. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I thought it was weak. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I under, again, I understand why. You, mm -hmm. When you get into this level of complexity, and if you watched any of this, you guys didn't get to see the actual committee hearings. They were complicated. And, and you're in the weeds. And that's a, there's a reason for it. Because this is complicated, difficult stuff. Federal spending is big, as you. I sound like Kamala Harris. Federal spending is big, big. right? Two Venn diagram. Venn diagram. <laughs> We're not going to do the Venn diagram. Federal spending is huge. It infects every part of our society, from cities up through states, and obviously nationally. So you've got all of that complexity and all of the consequences of how that money is spent, how that money is appropriated. You can't deal with that in one day. It's, it's really just not possible. And so I, I did appreciate the way it got drawn back because it got drawn back to send a signal. In other words, everybody was unified. We need some kind of balanced budget amendment. Exactly what that would look like in a real convention. I don't think it would be as limited as what you saw here. You know, maybe because the liberals. I disagree. No, look. I mean, you want, why pass a balanced budget amendment? Why propose a balanced budget amendment out of a convention that has no chance of getting That's 38, point, 38 yeah. states to ratify? Yeah. I mean, this. Look, as as I repeatedly say. Baby steps is a good thing. Uh, you know, just having the convention would be a, 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 a remarkable thing, a certainly a warning shot across the bow of Congress. Uh, but what comes out of here, I, I think, will without question be baby steps and and any kind of fiscal restraint coming out of this uh, uh, this convention that is going to be sent back to the states. Has to get obviously has to get thirty eight votes and has to be modest by definition or or won't have any chance of passing. Yeah, yeah and I so I'm going to revise my statement. I agree with Rick. Again, <laughs> this is and sometimes I forget this, and I, I think I forget it politically generally because I all I do is hang out with grassroots people. You you have to do things that are possible. If you we can come out of here and and pretend we're all muscular because we proposed all these huge things that will crush the federal government. If they can't, none of them get done, then there's no point to it. And it's right. just been play out. Yeah. And so I, well, I'm, I'm going to disagree that there's no point to it because we're going to talk about the next three amendments. Right. Yeah. And the next three amendments, you know, I think it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that any one of those amendments would, would get adopted. Maybe, yeah. might, might, maybe the first, I don't know, yeah. maybe the Commerce Clause Amendment could, yeah. uh, could get 38 votes. I think the other two are more cannon shots okay uh, well, basically basically talking about you know here's where we really want to go yeah right? well let's talk about yeah. those so the fourth proposal is a limitation on congress's power under the interstate commerce clause and it basically restricts congress to um, regulating commerce that is crossing state lines so Correct. buying selling transporting goods across state lines Mike, I know this is one of your favorite ideas, so talk to us about this. Well, Justice Thomas is the only one on the Supreme Court that has written opinions that gets, gets the Commerce Clause exactly right. Okay. Uh, and uh, his language um, that was uh, in the United States versus Lopez, his concurrence in that case, was, was operating as the core of, the, of that amendment that was proposed today. And so... Um, Commerce, interstate commerce, is regulated exclusively by Congress. So if it is interstate commerce, states can't regulate it. Mm -hmm. So let's take banking. Can states regulate banking? vast majority of bank regulations are in the Uniform Commercial Code, yeah. and that's state law. States can and do regulate banking. States regulate manufacturing. States regulate the environment. None of those things are correctly understood as interstate commerce right. under the correct historical definition, mm -hmm. which was in this amendment. Mm -hmm. And so we would get rid of the whole area of duplicate jurisdiction. Yes. We don't get, it's not that these things won't be regulated. Right. They're going to be regulated either by the states or by the federal government, not both. Yeah. And so that by itself is an efficiency 
that the Constitution gave us that's a huge protection of liberty. And it would reduce power grabs, it would reduce what we're spending. And so if, if we can get this through, and, and if people think that the environment's not going to be regulated, it's dead. But if people get the idea, let's have one level of government and only one level of government yes. deal with these things, and not have two, where we have conflicts and problems and everything, it, it has a lot better chance. And, and a convention can teach that lesson. If we were to go to that and, and try to push that through today, it won't happen because the, the American public doesn't understand it well enough. But when they get to watch this on live television for several weeks and get to hear this principle over and over again, one level and only one level of government, that'll click with people. And the opinion polls, I believe, will shift in the right direction. So I think that this actually has a pretty good chance of getting 38 states at the end of the day. <laughs> okay. I love Mark, the optimism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark, what do you think? Uh, this is one like of my this? favorites because the Commerce Clause gives us the authority, and I use air quotes for that, the court-imposed authority for a huge chunk of the federal government. When you look at agencies like the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, explosives, and whatever else they're doing nowadays, that's a Commerce Clause authority. When you look at Department of Education, when you look at the FDA, when you look at the USDA, you look at the Department of Agriculture, all of these things, you can't find any of those in the Constitution in its plain reading. You find them in the Supreme Court's interpretation of the Commerce Clause, broadly saying that basically anything that affects commerce, and by commerce they mean business, which is not what the framers meant. And so you get this expansive definition and that means they can do anything, literally. And so to me, this is really important to be able to pair that back, whether this could pass or not. I agree with Mike with some education. I think it can, because I think it's, it is a good argument and a good narrative to say, how can somebody be subject to regulations under the EPA and the California EPA at the same time, different regulations on the same subject? It's not possible yeah. for the average human to understand that. I think regardless of where you sit on the political scale, people find that frustrating and understand that. So yeah. I think over time, with the right education, I think that could happen. Yeah, and why do we need two sets of governments regulating the same thing? So Rick, whether or not you think we could get that ratified, do you like the idea? No, I think this is, of the three, this is the most ratifiable if that's a word, uh -huh. uh, but I still think it's a pretty it's a pretty long shot. I mean, in in this environment, having said that, you know, this goes back to the process that I believe in, which is uh, the educational process that can come from a convention of states and discussions that can start start coming and 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 introducing these concepts into the into the public consciousness and uh, it will help and move that forward. Uh, and and you know maybe 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 you can create a persuasive thing. I'm I'm a little bit more. Uh, I've been in politics a little longer than these guys have, and and a little bit maybe a little cynical of how the left would react to this, because uh, the left loves to have um, the resort of going to Washington if they can't get their neighbor to do something. They love to go to Washington to force their vo their point of view on everybody else, uh, and and this would certainly limit. For example, California and others who want to regulate everything and then force every other state to do it, this this uh, this removes one of their most important levers to get that done, which is to go to Washington and get them to do what California does. Sure. Well, let's talk about the fifth proposal, and this maybe is the boldest of all the proposals we saw come out of the simulated convention, and it's referred to as an abrogation amendment. So it gives a simple majority of the state legislatures the power to abrogate or override, undo a federal, a, countermand, a federal law or rule or regulation. Who wants to take this one on? It's bold. Maybe the lawyer should start with this one. <laughs> uh, ahead, uh, the lawyer, that's all of us. Yeah, well. Well, <laughs> no, the real lawyer. Yeah, the real lawyers. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's a great idea, um, you know, whether the the simple majority is the right thing or not? Uh, that, that's a, a really good question. Um, but I, I like the idea of increasing state power. And just the fact, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with Rick on the difficulty of ratifying this. Is, is this going to be hard, really hard. <laughs> but 
the fact that we debate that seriously makes Congress afraid to be as crazy as they've been. And, and, and so if, if Congress continues to go in a, a really irresponsible direction, this becomes more and more ratifiable over time because they've got to have checks and balances on them. And so um, I, I prefer structural checks and balances on Congress. And, and the Article 5 Convention is structural che yeah. checks and balances. This is a retail level checks and balances that says, I'm, I'm going to check that decision and that decision. That's, uh, the only thing that gives me some comfort in, in some of that is it's really hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to get 20, 26 states to do anything. And so it's hard to do, and so it probably won't be used irresponsibly yeah. if we ever get it. But, yeah. but, but the idea generally of giving the states the ability to override the federal government, yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark, what do you think? Do you like Go it? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just jump in yeah. because I, I agree with everything you said. And uh, it's one of those things where uh, I don't think there's any chance that this would ever pass with a simple majority of states uh, being able to countermand. Uh, it, but the higher you raise that bar, the more likelihood, the, the higher the likelihood you could actually get a majority where something is so bad, whether it's two thirds or even three quarters of the states uh, would have to pass it. Then, you know, particularly if you get up that high to, you know, you have to get uh, two thirds or three quarters, then you, you, you can make the pitch to the states that this is something that is, you know, overwhelmingly unpopular that the Congress has done and, and this is sort of to stop a runaway Congress. Or more importantly, uh, I think it's less likely that Congress is going to pass things that are outrageously unpopular. But, but regulations and the bureaucracy and potentially a, a, a president that's uh, sort of gone, uh, become a little tyrannical, this might be a way to rein that in that could be, that be, good, could be a good thing. Mark, do you like it? I love Could it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Ratification, I don't see it. I mean, really, if you're a, a left-leaning state, I just don't see why you would vote for this at this time in history. It makes no sense. You have 30 states with both houses controlled by Republicans, so it's an instant majority for Republicans. They can just start hitting back against any Democrat government they would want. And and look, I'm not saying that... that I disagree with them. I get that. If I was in the opposite position, if there were a strong Democrat majority, I wouldn't want to give them this power like that. So I just don't think it's realistic. I think it's important. Rick mentioned this earlier. I guarantee you Washington, D.C., broadly speaking, is watching this. And to see this many states that angry that would like to see their power curtailed that dramatically, I think it has an impact on them. I think it's a difference what you get out of a simulated convention, which doesn't have a large Democratic representation here. It doesn't have, you know, other 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 factors at play because you know you not a lot of media and all of it. You're gonna you're gonna swing for the fences a little bit more under this because you know you it's you know you're actually not sending it for ratification of the states. Mm -hmm. I think you're gonna see at a real convention much more modest proposals, or if this is a proposal, much higher thresholds, much, because why, other than uh, the idea of, well, the, you know, we're really angry, we want to show how angry we are, okay, great, uh, I think people want to pass things, I mean, they want, they want to actually propose things that has a chance that they can go out there and show that they're, you know, that they've acted responsibly and where the American public is, yeah. uh, so I, that's why I think uh, you know, amendments like this, while <laughs> I cheer it, uh, may not be the best message coming out of, of, a, of, a, of a convention. Sure. So the sixth and final proposal that passed here today was a limitation on federal ownership of land. And I know this is a huge deal, especially for our western states. What did you gentlemen think let, of let this me, Yeah, I, let me jump on that one because I, I, I was sitting there thinking, how could something like this pass? I mean, uh, because you know, I come from Pennsylvania, and we don't have a whole lot of federal lands in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I just thought to myself, maybe you guys know, and that's why I jumped in. You know, what's how many states are are affected by the federal lands issues? Is it is it twenty? Is it fifty? I mean, excuse me, is it thirty? Is it thirty-five? I don't know. 
Uh, but the answer to that question will give you the idea as to how likely uh, a resolution would be. Because if you take a state like Nevada, I mean, even I would think Democrats in Nevada would probably go along with this. I mean, it'd be really hard in, in your own state legislature, given the issue of federal lands and how it dramatically impacts people in the state of Nevada, that they're, that even Democrats would say, yeah, we want more control out of our federal lands. So you have some states, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, you know, places like that where, I don't know, it just... It, it could be an interesting split more east-west than Democrat-Republican. Okay. Well, I, I um, am very sympathetic to the western states on this and lived a lot of my life in Washington state. Um, but the, um, I, I think that the way to make this, appro this idea um, more ratifiable is to use the sale of the western lands pay off the national debt. Because it, as you heard, the descriptions of the, the value of these resources, they're enormous. Yeah. They're enormous. And if, if those go unilaterally to, the, to those states, uh, there's, you know, that's, that makes it not ratifiable. Mm -hmm. But if it goes to the whole country and we pay off the national debt um, uh, in this process, and then what happens to those, to those states? Those states now get the, that, the property on their tax base. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they get it to, to win in the long run. Yeah. And, and, you know, exactly, if this had been sold all along over the centuries, as was done in all the, you know, the Midwest and Illinois and other states that were mentioned here today, then all that land would already have been sold off. There would be no windfall to the state treasury, mm -hmm. but there would be uh, the ability to tax. Yeah. Tax tax the base. And you'd have development, you have workers, you have jobs, you have people, you have all those things. And the state gets all that. Yeah. And so I think there's something in it for, for the western states and I think there's something in it for the whole country if you tie those things together. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would add in and this is not well known or talked about in the eastern states that don't have much public land, but they're spending billions of dollars a year. Those states are paying to I would argue mismanage land in the western states to no benefit to themselves. It is just a net negative to those states. And I would guess if you ask the populations of those states if they knew that, you're paying for the maintenance of 90% of the land in Nevada, which Nevadans use. You probably have never been to Nevada and used the public lands in Nevada. Do you like the fact that you're paying for that and you were in Pennsylvania? They'd all say, no, what do you mean I'm paying for that? What do, why am I paying for that? Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it is narrative. So I think that's, I like Mike's idea of how, how you use those funds, but I would also make sure people understand if you live in the East right now, you're being penalized for something that probably mostly you're not using. Yeah, one of the things that, that I know just being an Easterner that uh, the left does is they say, oh, you know, they're going to, they're going to, you know, coal mines in Yellowstone and they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to, uh, you know, uh, mine the Grand Tetons, right? Or, or things like that, uh, which of course is ridiculous. I mean, you know, if you live in those states, you, 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 you appreciate the, the value of, of, of that, of that uh, land. And it's just like the whole issue with Anwar up in Alaska, which is, you know, these are not you know, pristine wildernesses. They're not valuable ecological land. I mean, these are, these, th there's plenty of uh, reasonable development that could occur in, in, in the vast majority of this land, but they wrap themselves around, you know, these, these iconic, uh, beautiful places and, 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 you know, put pictures up on the screen showing you, you know, the polar bears and the eagles and the grizzly <laughs> bears and everything when it's a, you know, a frozen tundra with nothing out there at all. So uh, th that's, that's the problem when you get into these types of issues is the whole marketing campaign around it. So I think it's really important, Mike talked about, that you, you get something that, uh, that, the, that isn't just a benefit to the, to the, the this The amendment that was proposed here, you know, all the money that goes from returning the lands goes to the states. Mm -hmm. Well... You know, if you're sitting here in Pennsylvania, you're going to say, "Wait a minute! They're going to, you know, they're going to get this huge windfall. They they may misuse the." They did preserve all the national parks, though. They, they did, right? Sure. And so I think another great idea would be take some of that Military money. Bases. Yeah, take some of that money and say, "And we're going to take some of the money from the land that's sold and use it to maintain the parks, 
you know, whatever you're going to do in the parks, increase the parks budgets or anything like that. Rita, at some point soon, I think we're going to go to the vice president and the president of the convention can join us up on sure. stage. Are they ready? Rick, I want to ask you a yeah. question while we're waiting. So we talked about the substance of the amendment proposals. I want to talk to you for a second about process. Yeah, walk around here, Jason. It was interesting to me to see how many times there were points of order raised on germaneness. We'll come back to that. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I while, while, Jason, welcome. Thank you, Senator. Jason, Jason Rappert from, uh, is it Rappert, right? Rapers. Rapers. Yeah, I was right. It was okay, Rapers. Okay, you were right. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, Jason, we'll get you mic'd up hopefully very soon. Uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, Woody, but the, the question was uh, 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 that Rita asked was about the points of order made on germaneness, which is which is really interesting. And I had a really good discussion uh, with a uh, with a member from South Dakota, a, a legislator who was convinced that the limiting the Supreme Court to nine members was outside the scope of this convention. Sure. And, 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 I, and I said, and he said, it has nothing to do with term limits. I said, well, that's true. And it came out of the term limits committee. I said, but, you know, it should not have come out of that committee. It was not germane to term limits. Yeah. But it was germane to limitation of federal power. Right. And his response was, well, how does it limit federal power? And I said, because it limits the Congress's ability to add members to the courts. Yes. Yeah. federal power. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, we sort of, he, he sort of resisted that when he said, well, but it doesn't limit overall federal power. I said, but if you're limiting a branch of doing something, you're limiting the right. federal, federal power. So uh, that's, but, but when we think about that, because one of the things I hear, as you know, all the time is, oh, they're not going to pay attention to anything. Right. They're just going to do whatever the heck they want. Yes. They're going to, they're not going to care whether it's germane or not germane. And uh, let me assure you, uh, everybody here is is fastidious yes. when it comes to making sure that we stay within the guardrails. It was over and over again. It was brought up about whether this is in fact something that is that is uh, under the under the pur purview of of this convention. Yeah. Correct. Well, it, it was interesting. Of course, it's like any other parliamentary endeavor. You know, you're going to have opinions and differences. Right. What's really interesting about this is the right. difference of styles okay. and their home bodies, and you see that come back. Yeah. But I think that the convention right. today did stay true to the contours. Uh, there was plenty to deal with in the proposals at hand, so I was proud of the work that they did, and it was an honor to be here and honor to serve. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll just repeat for those of you who may have missed our earlier introduction, we are joined now by Representative Woody Jenkins of Louisiana, who is elected to be our convention president, as well as Senator Jason Rapert from Arkansas, who is elected to be our convention vice president. Both of you served admirably. I was so impressed by the way you kept things moving, you kept order. You did it beautifully. You seemed so calm. So I want to just get your initial reactions to what did you think? How did it go? Were you pleased with the outcome? And Mr. President, I'll go to you first. Well, I just loved it. It was a great experience for me. I mean, such a privilege uh, and an opportunity. This is something that it's in the Constitution, but in a sense it's theoretical because nobody's really done it. Right. And so this is a chance to take something that's there for the American people to utilize and give it a trial run. And I was really pleased. It's a lot like I expected. Mm -hmm. Such wonderful people from the States. Mm -hmm. I mean, some great stories there. Yeah. Just people, some with a lifetime of service. Yes. And patriots yes. who believe in freedom, willing to pay the price. And they have paid the price in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So they came here with ideas with grievances that they want corrected. Uh, but I think we came away with some really good ideas and proposals. I think we showed that this is not something to fear, uh, that you're gonna have some good ideas. Not necessarily you agree with everything, yeah. but everything then has to go to the legislatures and three-fourths of the legislatures, that's a lot of red states and a lot of blue states have to agree for anything to become part of the Constitution. But overall, I it's an A plus. It was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Impressions? How did it go? Well, I've got a lot of thoughts. Too much for this particular <laughs> moment, but you know, I just you're, you're talking to a citizen legislator. Yeah. 
I was raising my family, taking care of my family, running our business when I felt a call to run for office in 2010. I was the first Republican since the Civil War Senator to win a dis my district in Arkansas. And immediately thereafter, I ran an Article 5 resolution on the debt relief amendment, if you remember that discussion. At that time in my state, I had even great conservatives that were concerned and, and thought that was somehow not, not something we might should pursue. But probably, which has already been said on here many times, I haven't gotten to hear the whole conversation today, but Article 5 is a part of the original Constitution. It wasn't even an amendment, the first 10 of the Bill of Rights, which I love, but it's part of the original document that was there. And I feel like it was very clear that those founders put that there as a safety valve or a safeguard, as a check that, God forbid, something happened and Washington was running, us, running off into the wild blue yonder, the states could reassert that authority, and that's why I think that they put that there. And so I just want to tell all of my friends, and look, you know, I served 12 years in the Senate. I'm now focused on working with the National Association of Christian Lawmakers, which, by the way, I was surprised and proud of how many of our members were here, supportive of this. But I, I want to tell you, to those friends out there in the conservative movement, I will just hope that they have been able to see here. This is a part of who we are as Americans. It was very normal for these uh, conventions to occur in the early stages of our country. And what they're looking at is that, yes, we can come in and handle the business. And I will tell you, if we had had a week and not two days, you would have seen an even smoother process. But it's very difficult to basically have a mobile legislative body working in a 48-hour period. So I, I want to just take some time here to say the country, and Senator Santorum has probably covered all this, Washington, D.C. is broken in many instances. So I just want to ask people, who's running away? Well, I think that right now we have, and this is me speaking, not Convention of States, I think you have someone that may, may very well be a criminal in the White House. We found cocaine in the lobby of the United States White House when they can track terrorists from 3,000 miles away, but they can't figure out who dropped a bag of cocaine in the White House. It's ridiculous. When we have the national debt that's grown, when I got in office, it was half what it is today. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but I'm tired of hearing conservative congressmen run for office and say they're going to go up there and hold the line and they're going to cut spending and it's gotten worse in every single administration. And what I'm saying is I'm not faulting them, but somebody has to say no. And we have 7,383 state legislators in this nation. And I believe that amongst these 50 state capitals and states like my own, where we balance the budget every single year. I believe that we are smart enough, and may I even say able to find another 535 that could fill the Senate and the House if needed, that can make the decisions necessary to get this country back on track. And I'm just telling you, I would have been better off to never get into politics. I have lost money my family sacrificed to serve but it's worth it because we need business people, smart people to get involved and are willing to do it. In Convention of States, I firmly believe, and this is me speaking, I believe God has raised up entities like this at this time in our nation. People are trying to work together and do good policy to try to save the country. And here's one last comment. All of these folks about the runaway, even if it's a congressionally proposed amendment or a convention proposed amendment, it takes 38 states to ratify anything. Yes. And I would like to suggest that all those folks that say they love the Constitution, you need to check yourself when you're warring against provisions of the Constitution that were there from the very beginning. So I'm proud of Mark Meckler, Mike Ferris, Rick Santorum, former Senator Colburn, and all of you that have given, and I know there's plenty other names I'm not mentioning, but I am uh, 
honored to be here because we passed the COS re resolution in Arkansas, and I know a lot of those Arkansans are watching. They have worked, they've been educated now, and that's what this process is able to do. And I will tell you, uh, somebody asked me, why is it just a simulation? I said, well, if we had 34 states, it would be the real deal. Yes. And when that happens, I pray that we're prepared to make decisions that would truly steer the country back on the right track. Yeah. Well, I know we have to let you gentlemen go soon. There are lots of people who want to congratulate you and talk to you. But before we let you go, I just want to ask you, Mr. President, do you think we achieved the objective of showing the American people that this Article 5 convention process is one that works? You know, I believe so. I, I think if people really watch the video from the proceedings today, they'll learn a lot and they'll see the give and take that occurs in the legislative setting. You'll see that people who they're operating at one level as legislators, but they move into the setting where they're talking about changing the Constitution. They elevate all their standards. They, they think at a higher level because they want to leave a legacy. I don't care who they are. They want to leave a good legacy. You know, I'm reminded of uh, something Justice Scalia said. In fact, it's on the Convention of States website. And uh, what he said, it's a balancing act. If, if, the, if the needs of the country are great enough, and the risk of a convention of states are low enough. That's what you should do. And, and what's happening in our country, we have a run, runaway presidency. We have a runaway government. Now, Benjamin Franklin said when he was leaving the Constitutional Convention, they asked him how long this Constitution will last. And what he said was, he said, until the American people deserve a despotic government. And you know, right now, it's important that all Americans, legislators, everybody, citizens, stand up and say, no, we won't stand for a despotic government, and we're going to do it peaceably. We're going to use the rights that were left to us through the Constitution. And look, I love our founders. I believe their work was divinely inspired, and one of the things they did, they left us a safety net in Article 5 so that when Congress was the problem and President was the problem, there was a way the people could go around and amend the Constitution in order to try to solve those problems. So we're just doing what the founders gave us the opportunity and right to do. Absolutely. Senator Santorum, do you agree we achieved that objective today? Look, I, I don't know how anyone could look at what transpired here and not see people who took this job takes take it very seriously. I mean, they, this is a simulation. You know, you don't know what's going to happen in simulation. Some people may take it seriously, some people may not, but some people may may see this as just sort of a, a role-playing kind of thing. I think that's what I, I don't. I didn't see any evidence of any of that. I saw people who understand that this this country is in trouble, and we need a serious we need serious discussion. And they saw themselves in some respect. They you know they saw themselves as uh, as people on trial. I mean, they they were there representing their states to the people who are going to be watching, reporting on this. There were some, there were observers here who, you know, who uh, are going to go back and, and write and talk about what happened here. And I think everyone, everyone understood that. They understood their role in the process and, uh, and rose to that level. I think Woody's point is right. You know, when you're dealing, you know, your legislators, you're used to dealing with laws. When you're dealing with the Constitution, all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> got to up your game, right? That's right. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to see, you know, what I'm talking about here has huge, I mean, this can be around for, this isn't a bill that can be repealed next year. This is going to be around for hundreds of years, hopefully. And, and I think everybody took it with that seriousness. And that's why I, I, I always, and both of you mentioned this, that, you know, when people say, oh, people will go there and they'll do crazy things and they'll try to. We, we didn't <laughs> see that. And you saw the passion of people. Yeah. To them, this was all real. Yes. Know? And because they love their country so much and they're concerned. I mean, they want good things for our country. They want us to survive. And we've all been blessed with this freedom. We want to pass it on. Yeah. So this is our way to do it, one way. Senator, I can tell you it's sort of a, you know, from the trenches perspective, <laughs> sitting as, as our president's right arm there where the, the stairs were, I got a lot of the, the questions that came up, you know, trying to get some clarity on things. 
Yeah, they were taking it very serious because they wanted to make sure that the proposals were fully discussed, uh, that the process was followed, and so yes, they were. And and, and there was a, look, I mean, I could be wrong. You you were, you were catching some of these things. There was some heat there. I mean, there were some people who were pretty upset at times that oh yeah, you know, they wanted more debate, right? I mean, you had to you had to and, and, you had to gavel it down, and it was not a popular thing to do. So, Senator, right? uh, another example. I know one of the commissioners that were here. He's 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 new to his Senate body, and he told me he said, "Man, I'm getting a lot of heat from some of my." folks back home. And he articulated who it was. It's the same voices that try to go, try to use a boogeyman at everybody. And, you know, here's the reality. When I, when you begin studying it, there's so many different uh, illustrations, but this is one. I would ask people, I said, you know what? I've got two daughters. My mother's a female. At least she still is today in our, in America. <laughs> my mother, I think about the women in my life, my, my daughter's I'm proud that there was an amendment that allows my daughters the ability to vote and participate. Had you, had you used the arguments they're using today to war against the Article 5 movement, you wouldn't have had an amendment so that women could vote. And I'm kind of glad that, I'm not kind of glad, I'm glad of a lot of things. I'm glad that you know people that are 18 year old can vote. I think that's a great thing. Because I got married when I was 18, I was on my own. I wanted to have a say. So the other thing there is that slavery. I'm, I'm proud of things that have been done. And you know what in America? They passed prohibition and decided to change it and they pulled it out. So Americans are able, able and have the capacity to utilize our constitution and stay within the realms and the rails of what it was meant to do. The Article 5 process, the convention process, was given to us by the founders. They wanted us to use it, and we showed today that the process works. Gentlemen, I want to thank all three of you for your many years of public service, and thank you, gentlemen, for your service to the simulated convention here this week. And that's going to wrap it up for now for our live stream coverage of the Article 5 Simulated Convention. Thanks, folks. Thank you for listening to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast. To learn more about our grassroots movement, go to www.conventionofstates.com.